Wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 48, and it's been a long time coming because my guest this week finally is the godfather, the dean of wrestling journalists, photographers, writers, Bill Apter. Good friend of mine who I have known for a long time, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Before we get to Bill and the conversation that we had, I want to mention a couple of quick things. One has to do with the brand new issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which I finally have in my hands. It's the February 2023 issue, which is the issue that has the Usos on the cover. And it's our Tag Team 100 ranking that we do every year, kind of like the PWI 500. I've mentioned it on here before, but now I, I have my physical copy, so I'm I'm very excited to give it yet another plug. I've got two columns in there. I've got my uh, vintage column, The Way It Was, which focuses on the legendary tag team of Rip Hawk and Swede Hansen from the Mid-Atlantic Carolinas territory, Florida, Georgia, what have you. And I also have my column... The Lockup, which in this month's issue is all about injuries in pro wrestling and and how we can't take for granted what wrestlers do in that ring. And it was inspired by the concussion suffered by Hangman Adam Page a couple of months ago on Dynamite. So do pick up the February 2023 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. You can get it at pwi-online.com. They have it in digital form. They have it in print form. So I want to make mention of that. And of course, it would be remiss of me not to acknowledge the fact that this is now the final. We're looking at the final episode of Shut Up and Wrestle of 2022 as we are headed into the new year. Hope all of you had a fine Hanukkah and Christmas holiday. And now we are headed into the new year. 2023 is on the way. And, uh, you know, this has been a very good year for me. So I just want to take a brief moment just to be thankful and to express some some personal matters here. We have some milestones coming up on Shut Up and Wrestle. Uh, We've got the 50th episode that's going to be hitting in January. Shortly after that, it'll be the 52nd episode, which, which of course, will mark one full year of Shut Up and Wrestle. And this being the last episode of this year, the year that the podcast started I have so many things to be grateful for in the wrestling business in 2022. I got to finally launch this podcast. I got to have it be a part of the wonderful, amazing Arcadian Vanguard podcast network. Uh, Still honored to have been invited to be a part of that. We launched the Wrestling News in 2022. Again, part of Arcadian Vanguard. I get to be the news director of that. I got to co-host the Jim Cornette experience. I mean, how much cooler does it get than that? And I got a new nickname in the process, Solomon Grundy. Thank you very much, Jim. 
Um, that was a blast. My book, of course, my biography of the Sheik, Blood and Fire, came out in 2022, which I am so proud of and I, I worked on for years. And it's finally hit bookstores. This was the year of that. And next year will be the year of my next wrestling book, or at least beginning to work on it, which I am so ready to announce to everybody once the contract is signed, hopefully very, very soon. And let's not forget my appearance on the Nine Lives of Vince McMahon documentary on Vice TV, which I was kind of the star of that, which I was not expecting. So uh, this has been, it's been an embarrassment of riches in 2022 for me. And I hope that that continues in 2023. I also hope that it would not be too uh, out of line for me to say that I hope that many of you out there have enjoyed the fruits of my labor in 2022, enjoyed the shows and the books and the magazines and things that I have worked on. And I show you if you have, I intend to continue working on them. In fact, even if you haven't, I still intend to continue working on them. So thanks to the listeners and the readers and everyone else out there. And here's to the best in 2023. Uh, Now, let's get to the matter at hand for this week. William Stanley Apter. That's right. Bill Apter, the man who for many of us personified professional wrestling magazines. He is my guest here. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. We go back, uh, Bill and I go back about uh, a dozen years or so, at least, maybe actually more like 15 years. And uh, there's we cover a lot of ground here. Uh, this is intended to be a part one. You'll hear as we get to the end of the interview. We did we had to cut it slightly short because of Bill's many other commitments, but this is intended as a part one. There will be a part two at some point in the very near future, I'm hoping. But for now, I hope that you enjoy part one of my interview, my conversation with Bill Apter, which I am going to take you to right now. Okay, so this is something very special that I've been trying to make happen for a long time now, really since the podcast started. He's a very busy man with good reason, and he's finally here. Um, the My guest this week needs no in- introduction, as they say, but I'm still going to give him one. He is what I like to call the godfather, the dean. Like if Gordon Soley was the dean of wrestling announcers, the dean of wrestling reporters, writers, photographers. Um, A lot of you know him, of course, from his earlier years with the Stanley Weston magazines, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Inside Wrestling, The Wrestler, going back to the late 60s even. Uh, Later, WOW magazine, we all remember WOW, Um, OneWrestling.com. These days, he is the senior editor for Sports Kita. He is somebody who was present the night that Bruno Sammartino lost the title to Ivan Koloff. He introduced Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler to each other. He took the heart punch from Stan the Man Stasiak and lived to tell about it. And I can guarantee you (laughs) that if you go back and look at at almost any of your favorite wrestling matches, old-time matches from 70s, 80s, even into the 90s, if you look really close, you will see this man wandering around ringside with a camera, doing his job. He is Mr. Bill Apter. Wow, thank you for that great introduction. The only asterisk here is being an editor 
uh, is that I started in, uh, well, yeah, actually I did start in the, in the sixties because I was doing a radio show in New York, a wrestling radio show in New York. The first, um, the first, no, actually it was the second radio show in New York on WHBI 105.9 FM. I bought my own time. Uh, it was on drive time at five 30 in the afternoon. And they were all uh, interviews that I uh, recorded with wrestlers and did Q and A's. And yeah, it was that. Oh, wow. It was a five minute show all done on. If you're watching this all done on cassette tapes and I still have all the original tapes here, but what an introduction. I didn't realize I did so much. <laughs> well, I want to make sure that everybody listening to this realizes that because, um, you know, and I've known you for, I want to say, um, I didn't know you back in the in the magazine days because, uh, you know, I'm sorry to say, Bill, I was a kid back then. Oh, we should have known each other. Yeah, but I, I first met you when you were doing stuff with One Wrestling. In fact, I think the first time we ever met, it was right after you, – you probably don't remember this, but it was right after I left WWE in, I think, 2007, and I went to a convention. At that time, I was a little burnt out on wrestling. I was a little – bitter just a tiny bit and i had a friend of mine anthony Cali, who was magazine writer too who who told me bruno san martino is going to be at the signing you have to come and meet him and i did and i got to meet him and you were there and we got to talking oh, and yeah, everything that, that was in that was in uh it might have been the big event maybe and that sport. sounds familiar yeah and sal corrente was with uh bruno i think that's right yeah that's I right you too then Okay. And that was the first time. And out of that, if you remember, I did, actually did a little bit for, for you for One Wrestling for a little while. I had a little yes. column there and stuff, and which was actually called Shut Up and Wrestle. I'm pretty because, uh, you know, remember I remember that I take that name with me everywhere I go. But um, now but, it's Shut Up and Interview. Right. Well, you see, that's the whole like it's sort of an inside joke because it's like right. Shut Up and Wrestle, but we never actually shut up. Right. Exactly. That's, yes. Hopefully not. <laughs> so you so you were talking about when you when you started in the late 60s now with the radio thing didn't you start on the ma on the magazines in 69 no i actually started in 19 uh toward the end of 1970 um oh okay yeah yeah or, or yeah, well the first magazine i did a story for was the old wrestling review i bought it and i sent uh uh, some pictures from my Instamatic camera, hmm. point and shoot, uh, from running up to the ring, uh, and I was a fan running up, running up to the ring at Sunnyside Garden, taking some pictures, and I took some shots of uh, the Mongols, and I was invited down to the dressing room by their um, their manager Tony Angelo, and I did an interview with uh, Tony Angelo and posed for some pictures. Uh, um, with with he and the Mongols and my dad was with me. My dad shot the pictures, and I'll tell you why I'm talking about this. I I don't think I've ever revealed this. Uh, so they they ran the interview. They uh, were going to pay me twenty five dollars for it, and it was a one page. And there was a picture of um, it was a picture of the Mongols and their manager Tony Angelo. Instead of Tony Angelo, it was the picture of my father with the mongols beppo and guido so people thought my father was tony angelo for a few months yeah but uh at that point um there was some issues about 
even getting paid the $25. And uh, when I spoke to Mr. Weston, uh, who I eventually met from sending pictures to another magazine company, he said, make sure they pay you. And they never did. And I never pursued it. And uh, I started working for Mr. Weston. And the rest is history, cliche of the interview. Well, that, that's great advice that he gave you, though. I mean, you know, I <laughs> I talked to I've talked to other people that that worked over there for him. I talked to Craig Peters on the he was on the show. I talked to cool. Stu yep. and, uh, you know, just to get the feeling of what that was like. He, he, he just seems like such an interesting person to me. Uh, I know he started with the Ring magazine, right? He used to paint the, he, he was painting covers for some of those early Ring magazine covers. Ring and also detective magazines. He painted a lot of covers for them oh. as well, yeah. You and, mean like like pulp novels, that kind of thing? Uh, they were the true detective type of magazines. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he, you know, I, I mean, I think, but well, by the time you got in there with him, he had been, doing wrestling magazines for a while, like about 10 years by that oh, point yes. or more. Yeah, he had. He uh, he was the um, originator of Wrestling Review and Boxing Illustrated Wrestling News. And eventually, um, whatever happened, happened. And that was taken over by uh, Lou Eskin. Right. Um, Lou Eskin and... Um, Norm Keitzer, Bert, right? Norm Keitzer and Burt Sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Bert Sugar. Yeah, I was talking to someone else about him. I can't remember who it was. One of the guests I had on here, I think it might have been Tom Burke, because Tom Burke was working at the Ring Wrestling magazine. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. And yeah. I remember he was saying that that Bert, because my grandfather knew Bert Sugar sort of because he was involved in boxing and Bert Sugar was well, also boxing. very well, too. But he I, the feeling that I got, I don't know what you what you're feeling was at the time was that he wasn't super thrilled to be doing stuff with wrestling he sort of like kept it at arm's length yeah, did you find was, that he's a boxing guy yeah he's a boxing guy so uh yeah he just you know did the wrestling maybe i don't know what he did for the with the wrestling magazine but i think because he had a name he was you know became one of the faces of right magazine. right what i became for the wrestling magazines <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, could you ever have imagined, uh, I, I mean, I know that's such a corny question, but I mean, starting way back when you did that, eventually you would, I mean, I don't think it's going too far to say that, well, it's, your name is synonymous with wrestling magazines. I mean, they call the damn magazines after mags, even though they weren't your magazine. No, but do, do you know who came up with that? Who? That was Dave Meltzer. Dave. Oh, so man. I used to call Dave. And I say, Dave, I don't, I'm not the owner of the magazines. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm the face of, well, that's what he said. He said, you're the, you're in every territory. You're on every TV show we watch, even the independents, everything. You're there. You're the face of the magazines. They're the aftermags. Could be Stanley Weston's company, but we see you everywhere. We see your picture in the magazine. We see Stan Stasiak hitting you with the heart punch, as you said. Yeah. Uh, and being attacked by Abdullah the Butcher and all. So, yeah, I became the uh, face of the magazines. And to answer your question in uh, another voice, hell no. I never <laughs> expected to be the face. When I started watching wrestling in the late 50s, like, yeah, I'm that old. Um, when I started watching wrestling in the late 50s, it was just a, a dream of mine because I, I did a fan club bulletin that I only made three copies of 
and handed them out to my friends in school, um, carbon paper and everything. And uh, if you fans don't know what carbon paper is, Google um, or look it up in the encyclopedia. Yes. Or ask your grandparents, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But um, so did I ever anticipate that happening? Absolutely not. No. And and just on the aftermag thing for a second, did uh, how did Mr. Weston feel about that? Do you know? Did he ever talk about it? Was he aware of it? No, we, I, he may have been. I don't think he was ever aware of it, but he he wouldn't have cared because he hired me before he had any real wrestling people working for the his new company, GC London Publishing. Um, he just put out wrestling magazines. There was no identification of anybody uh, right. with it, so to say, except uh, bylines. And he knew that I... I had told him on my first meeting with him, which was at the men's grill at uh, Grand Central Station. Some that was the name of the restaurant. Uh, and I told him I wanted to become a um, an entertainer. I, you know, I sing and do comedy, but I'd like to be a wrestling announcer. And he said to me, well, if you come and work for me, I can get you on TV. And I didn't know how that was <laughs> going to happen. So um, cut to the chase there. Um, Al Costello from the fabulous kangaroos had asked Mr. Weston to come out to, uh, Detroit that he and, uh, uh, it wasn't Roy Heffernan back then it was Don Kent, uh, were going to, uh, be involved in a tag team match. And he believes that he and uh, Don Kent were going to win it. Can he send somebody? So I went in a car along with George Napolitano, who was working for ring magazine, uh, at that time, we went to the matches. I photographed the matches, and the Kangaroos won the title, the tag team belts from Ben Justice and the Stomper. Oh my God, I can't remember to take the garbage out on Monday, but I can remember that. <laughs> and uh, uh, they put me on TV there. And uh, several of the other promoters that Mr. Weston was uh, close with were saying, you know, I wore a suit and tie and the whole bit. And they said, you know, he makes a very nice appearance. So uh, could we use him here? And, and that's how kind of that got started. Many, many years later, um, uh, Ole Anderson, who everybody says such rotten things about, and whatever mm-hmm. he'd have would he, he put me on TV uh, on Georgia Championship Wrestling, uh, Craig Peters and I, and uh, the rest, and cliche number two is history because it kind of steamrolled from that to Jim Crockett to Joe Pettacino, to uh, AWA, and uh, everything but WWWF. I think that's what, I mean, speaking as a fan, as I do, I think that's what fans really appreciated about um, the the Weston Magazine, PWI, whatever you want to call it, is that you guys were a constant. You you It was like a way to kind of unify the whole business. It gave it kind of a legitimacy. Like, here are these guys they cover the wrestling business and they cover all of the wrestling business well, and they're you know, all over the place. And we were the sports illustrative of pro wrestling. That's exactly what we were. We now cover, we cover every territory. Uh, um, we send people out and uh, uh, gets, pu- you know, it's published and it's great stuff. Now the tone, and I, we talked about this once before, but the, the tone of those magazines I guess maybe sort of the, around the time that PWI came in, which is 1979, yeah. the tone of the 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 London magazines, the the Western magazines, changed quite a bit. 
going from the 70s right. to the 80s, didn't yeah. it? I mean, it was a lot oh, more no. blood and guts and totally. sex and all yeah. that. and yes. Everything that sells. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what happened in the 80s? You guys so, stopped all that stuff. No, well, we uh, what there was a major thing that uh, the distributor that was distributing the Stanley Weston magazines, not the Aftermax, AKA right. the Aftermax. We'll do the AKA thing from now on. Um, they didn't want bloody covers um, or they would stop some. I'm trying not to sneeze, by the way. Um, so they would stop distributing the magazines because they didn't want uh -huh. blood on the cover. Now, Mr. Weston's passion back before PWI, as you could see from so many of the covers, oh, my God, Bobby Heenan, what what did they do to your face? Blood. My favorite. I love that one. But that was the first one that he showed me when we were having uh, lunch at the men's grill. He pulled it out, showed that to me, and he said, keep it down. I'm not proud of it, but it sells. <laughs> so I never told anybody that. That's an exclusive. Um, but so that was the change. And then a lot of us at the, at the magazines at that time, um, and, and I get my years mixed up with the staff, but, you know, Peter King, Stu Sachs, uh, Craig Peters, um, and uh, a, a lot of us were like, you know, why don't we just do a magazine that might be a little classier than what Mr. Weston was doing? And I remember Mr. Weston had three or four issues of a thing called Wrestling Illustrated. Right. One of us, and there's a lot of battles of this, suggested to uh, Mr. Weston, why not make it pro wrestling illustrated? And that's, that's where it came from. That's uh, but it changed the course of wrestling magazines because we still had wrestler and inside wrestling out there, which was more like the national Enquirer. Right. Then we had the other magazine. We had, you know, Ben strong wrestling. We had like 12 magazines, but this became the flagship magazine because the people in the business looked at this as um, the Sports Illustrated to pro wrestling, and the the title helped. I mean, it was it just came across as something very serious and yes. very kind of straight ahead, legit, and not as sensational. Even though, still, I mean, there was still a lot of what would happen. I guess, and and I can say this because we used to do the same thing at WWE Magazine, which is, you know, you kind of try to come up with your own storyline oh, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. what we would do. Brian is uh, on Fridays, we would have an editorial meeting and I would come to the meeting with probably 20 sets of pictures, contact sheets, proof sheets with what pictures we got in that I thought were good. And we would sit there and, you know, a lot of people tell me even at conventions today, why didn't you just report on the matches? Because just wouldn't sell. So we would sit there, look at the pictures and come up with a storyline mm. once in a while we would check with either the wrestler the, or the promoters, but that was, you know, not, not a lot. Um, we would ask some of the wrestlers, do you really want to do the, uh, um, uh, the PWI interview? And they'd say, listen, you guys just stay within my character. And, and, you know, that would be fine, uh, which we did, but uh, we came up with our uh, angles and we, we, we kept true, to the feuds, but we went a little bit further there to have those inside stories that fans would not be able to read about. I mean, to see actually on TV. And 
I can tell you, you know, when I first discovered those magazines, I was a, a teenager, I guess kind of in my early teens. And I, I really, I was always on the fence as to what wrestling was and all that and how it was, you know, done. I was never one of these people that was completely believing that it was a sport and all that. That, but, that, was, that was you? <laughs> right. But, but. Those magazines really got me. At, at that age, I was the perfect age. I really was so drawn in by the world that you guys created because it was like adding another dimension to what I was watching on television. Like I would sit there and go, oh, my God, they they got this computer and they programmed this computer to come up with, you know, how this guy could beat this guy. And I would get so engrossed reading it. And it all made perfect sense to me when I was 13 years old, you know? Oh, sure. Of course, because you were uh, you really were a fan of wrestling and it's what something you wanted to believe. And, you know, we weren't hurting anybody. No. We were expanding, we were expanding people's minds and having them uh, look uh, further into their favorite wrestlers or their favorite bad guy or good guy wrestlers. You know, still to this day, I rarely say heel or baby face or face. I still say rule breaker and fan favorite, just like the magazine. Now that's, now that's funny. That was always the terminology that the, the, the Western magazines used and they still do, even though, you know, they, they were sort of forced to open up a little bit because you don't want to get left behind when the internet was revealing all the secrets and things oh. that started to go away. But rule breaker and fan favorite are still used in those magazines. Was that a conscious, like who came up with the idea to call them that? Was that something that happened while you were there? Oh, probably. Yes. Because I ask because it, it became accepted industry wide to this oh, no, day. We, you still hear people use it. Even wrestlers sometimes use it. Yeah, but I, I never um, uh, talked to Mr. Weston about that. But when I started under the um, uh, editorial ship of uh, Steve Endy, you know, he'd uh, uh, he'd ask me about a story he was writing. He was I would feed him the information, and he would uh, he would write the story, and he'd say, "Is he a good guy or a bad guy?" And I remember saying, "Well, he's a he's a rule breaker, and this one the fans love." So it may have come from the days back at Steve Endy. I was there bef way before Stu and Craig and Peter King and Joe Bua and everybody, Gary Morgenstein. Were you there before Matt Brock, though? That's the real question. I refuse to answer that. I might be Matt Brock. You never know. <laughs> now, um, you know, I, I when I had Craig, I, talk, I talked about this. I, I made a joke at the beginning, but I but it's sincere about how you guys would always be there at the matches. Um, you know, George as well, Napolitano. There were these people that even and, as a kid. This little punk kid, Paul Heyman. Right. And Jim Cornette at some of them, depending on where you in, in Memphis, especially. Yeah. But um for for if you're when you're watching it as a kid, you you know, you don't always know who these guys are, but you go, Oh, there's that guy. I always see him. He's always taking pictures. Now, the thing to me is. I feel like it's obviously it's your job and it's a way to make a living, but what an incredible thing to be present at so many memorable and historical moments. Cause here's the thing, especially back then when everything was regional, most fans, really no fans got to do that. You, you went to 
the matches in your area and and that's all you saw and wrestling wasn't really national then so you didn't have national tv mm-hmm. but you guys you were there for we're everything the we're the everything but, but you were ringside for everything yeah but something Amazing. something you said i want to uh um i want to go back to uh in terms of uh, making a living in it i never thought about making a living in it. I just, Mr. Wesson hired me and this is what I naturally did every day. It's wonderful that I got, you know, a, a, a paycheck, medical, dental, the whole thing. I worked for the publishing company, which a lot of people today keep saying, oh, can I buy your photos and all that? PWI owns all the photos I shot, but they gave made me that company, London Publishing, made me a good living. Did I wind up as a, uh, everybody thinking that I'm a a millionaire, you know, <laughs> living in my palatial pad. No, I made a, I made an okay salary. And, uh, but I got to travel all over the world. And I don't think I ever had to pay for a, an airline ticket or a hotel during all those years. And I got to meet my heroes um, in wrestling from when I was growing up. And I got to meet the future stars of pro wrestling who now um, know me. Uh, they're old friends of mine, but now when I go into a dressing room, some of the younger people are like, oh, Bill After, I used to buy the magazines. You know, it's like I'm recognized, so I'm very flattered by that. And I know, you know, that you you have a lot of respect, and I, I'm going to put you over more than you'll put yourself you don't over. Need to do that. You have so much, because I've seen it wherever I go. You have respect amongst the hugest names in the business, you. you know, the Hulk Hogan's, the Shawn Michaels, people at that level yeah. that have reverence for you. That is an you know incredible why? accomplishment. You know why? I'm going to be very honest now that we're talking about that. Not only did I pay them well to do that. No, <laughs> but the, uh, the thing is that um, I never, I kept the kayfabe. Um I knew when to listen and I knew that anything I talked to with any of the wrestlers, not to talk to anyone else about it, period, the end. So that's what instilled this because it got around the business that, hey, this guy's okay. And little by little, other wrestlers would tell other wrestlers that this guy's okay. You can talk to him freely and it's not going anywhere. So that well, you you were able to win their trust, which is you know such yeah, a big yeah. deal in no, the, the business. More, more importantly than any photo I shot, any column I wrote, any interview I did was my Rolodex because these people brought me into their lives, into their career, and into their homes, and I became personally involved with with so many of them. But the bottom line was that to make that relationship turned into uh, the business as well, where if I needed something special from somebody like Hulk Hogan and he wouldn't talk to anybody else about it, he would talk to me about it. And I'll say this, and I, I've mentioned, I mentioned this to you years ago and I'll reveal it on the show here. And, and if, and if you don't want it mentioned, we know we could always cut it out. But I edit, nothing is when I, when I was working at WWE, I told you about this a long time ago when they were doing the Shawn Michaels, uh, autobiography and they asked him who he wanted to work with. He said, you, yeah. he wanted you to do his book. The company did not mm-hmm. for whatever reason they wanted. Well, they, they, 
they were they were on the fence. A lot of times what their attitude was is we want non-wrestling people. You know that. That was always their thing. We want to have non why you want to have non-wrestling people doing wrestling, I don't know. But they wound up going with somebody within the company. But I mention it here, not because I'm trying to stir trouble, but because I want people to know things like that, that uh, that shows to me just the level of of respect and admiration that people have for you and had for you then, too. The fact that Shawn Michaels would say, I want Bill Apter to do my book. And he wasn't the only one. He's the one that comes to mind, but he wasn't the only one. Well, he came. uh, He saw me backstage one night uh, and I forgot what town it was. And he said that I have you ever written, written a wrestling book? And I said, no, I have not. He said, I'd like you to, you know, we're very close. You've been following me since I broke in and I'd like you to do it. But they said no. And I said, why? So, well, because you're in, you're involved in a, a competing magazine. That was wow. Uh, yeah. Wow magazine. Right. And I got no at that time. I don't think I was at. Wow. Uh, I think I was still. Uh, a wrestler on the inside, but they had you were there, so that you, I mean, you were at the magazine there, they had their own magazine. So, I think they wanted to use uh, one of their own magazine people or someone that they had, uh, that were not was not connected to the newsstand wrestling magazines, right? And they, well, actually, the person that that did it, he was somebody that used to work for the magazines, but he had just left. And he was kind of a freelance writer. But the funny oh, thing was, was, Keith, was it Keith? No, it was uh, his name was Aaron Feigenbaum. In okay. fact, he was he was a guest here okay. a, a while back. He, he, he wrote as Aaron Williams. But um, I even tried because when they said, you know, because they had that, like I said, that attitude of um, sometimes the, anybody other than the people who worked for them, they were very impressed by. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, I said. I'll do it. I even offered to do it. I said, well, if he's looking, you know, I'm a writer. I had written, I had published one book by that point, which was WWE Legends, which was a book that I wrote for them. Right. And I remember in the pitch meeting, I said. I have it here, by the way. Oh, thank you. But I said to Shane, "Um, I'll do it. And he said, are you a writer? I said, yeah, I published a book. And he said, what book? And when I mentioned what it was, because I thought this would win me points, it actually had the reverse effect because they were they were hoping I would say it was like some kind of New York Times bestseller that I wrote or whatever. And it was just, oh, it was just one of our books. It was that kind of thing. Oh, it was just actually, one of those. Actually, thinking back now, it might have been when I was with WOW, we were all banned uh, from uh, any contact with the wrestlers. Yeah, because this would have been uh, about 2000. Four. Yes. So that would have been wow time. So, but they still let me backstage to, as part of the family, but uh, how do I say this? Everybody, but Shane really welcomed me with open arms in backstage, etc. He was in charge of the magazine yes. and wow magazine became, I mean, you remember what that magazine looked like. It, it, it was competition to them it was sheer competition to them and uh i'm sure that's the reason why it's got to be because i mean we were very aware of wow i can say that when i was there and it wasn't just shane uh barry werner who was the publisher i don't know if you if you know barry you know very keenly aware this is our competition very much so that and 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 you know for people that remember it was an impressive magazine it was big 
Wow. It, it, it was unlike, right, it had the perfect name. It was unlike any wrestling magazine that had come before. It was gigantic. The paper quality was beautiful. It was all color, beautiful, you know, gigantic photography. You had all the foil covers and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And, and it broke kayfabe, which was a very big deal well, for a wrestling a magazine. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't start with them till I think the third issue. So that magazine was out there for two issues when they, uh, uh, who the heck was it? Um, Paul Heyman called me because they were, that publishing company was also doing uh, the ECW magazine. Right. And then he called me, says the people in Chicago uh, want to talk to you. They want you to come in as the, uh, uh, the head of the magazine wrestling magazine division. And I said, I'm not leaving Stanley Weston. So they called me and they hit me with a money figure and they said, you don't have to say yes. Let's just fly you out to uh, Chicago where our office is and let's talk. So they sent me to Chicago. Um, I was, was in an editorial meeting with them. They were all really great, very nice people. And I got back home the next day, talked to my family about it. Our kids were very little about that. I said, I can't do it. Well, so they called me the next morning. Have you made a decision? And I said, I, they said, before you say no, we're going to offer you a $25,000 um, bonus. And at that point, I remember going into Stu Sachs' office. He was the editor at that time. He says, I know you're going, right? And I said, I, I guess. And the first day that I started with them, I went there once a month uh, from my home in uh, uh, well, we were here in Pennsylvania, and the first day I started, uh, I get a phone call about three hours after I started there, and it was Stu Saxon, just before cell phones. He just called the office there. He just wanted to know, am I okay? I never forgot that. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. See, but but you guys had a bond from working there all those years, oh, and I, re- I, I've talked to Stu about that, what it was like, and just the... It was the camaraderie and everything that all you guys had. Yes, we were. We, we were and still are comrades. Uh, one day we've got to have a an old school PWI reunion. Invite me. I'll, I mean, I'm not I'm not one. I'm, of not, guys, I'm not I'm not in charge. Wait a minute. You can you can be invite me. You can get <laughs> it together. OK, sure. Well, I'll, I'll talk to Frank Vitucci. How about that? He oh. he, can, he can bridge both worlds, you know, oh, Frank. Cool. Frank Vitucci, for any of you who are listening or watching, was my photo assistant for many years, nicknamed Tooch, um, yes. and he left to uh, to go to WWE, WWF back then. Yes, he, and I I remember now. Now he is still there, which is incredible. I know. I would love to have him on, but there's no way anybody you know that works for WWE will come on my podcast. But. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I, I love Frank. He actually, we live in the same town and he, I remember when he got hired by WWF, like you said, it was, I want to say late 2000. It was a few months after I got there and I had been such a reader of the magazine of the, of the, you know, PWI and everything that I remember the, our photo editor, Noelle Soper was her name. And she goes, you know, I'm interviewing some people. We need an assistant. There's this guy, Frank Vitucci. And I said, Frank Vitucci. Because I knew the name, the name clicked, you know, I think I actually helped get him hired because I talked him up just, oh, yeah, he, he's at PWI. Yeah. Oh, God, he's Bill Apter's assistant, all this stuff and blah, yeah. blah, blah. 
I think I helped get him hired. But and the, the crazy thing is, of all the he is now the photo uh, the the head of the entire photo department for WWE heads up the whole thing there for 22 years, which he is the only person of the crew that we had when I got hired, all the people that Barry hired, he's the only person that's still there. So, I mean, I'm going to tell you something you may not know the night before, you know, uh, Mr. Weston sold the, um, the magazines to a uh, publisher in Pennsylvania. And we were all going to, uh, some of us were going to move. Originally, they were not going to bring me with the magazines. They didn't get the other company, uh, the middleman with our company who sold the company to Mr. Karabats in Pennsylvania, didn't get really what I did. He told me, he says, I don't think you're going to be able to stay with the magazines because they don't really need a photo editor. And I said, Ken, that was the name of the uh, uh, the liaison. I'm not the photo editor. That's my title, maybe. But I'm the guy who's in touch with the whole business. I don't think he knew that. So they did bring me along. So the night before we're going to move, we've got a moving van coming like the next day. I get a call from Vince McMahon's office that he wants to talk to me. And he said, uh, uh, Bill, we're... Uh, um, where we're, things are turning around here, we're starting a, a, a magazine um, and, uh, you know, we, we might want. And I said, not starting magazine. I, I think they were looking for a new editor or something. Probably that, because when yeah, you guys yeah, moved yeah, to yeah. when yeah. you moved to Pennsylvania, that was way after yes, the yeah. WWF magazine. So he said yeah. that we're, lo- we're looking for a new editor. Yeah. Um, I think Edward Sudi was the editor at that time and he was leaving or something. So I told okay. him, I said, I'm moving tomorrow. So, uh, you know, that put the uh, that put the kibosh. So um, you're the reason Vince Russo took over the magazine. Well, maybe. Because that's the that's the time frame. That's my about time frames, my time frame's horrible. Ninety three, I think, is when Russo came into the Wait magazine. I'm going to back up. I'm totally wrong. I'm totally wrong here. Uh, this part, you might want to edit out what we just talked about, uh, because my time frame is is horrible. Uh, OK. Right? Vince and Linda called me that they were starting uh, a magazine. And uh, this is way back at the beginning. Actually, there were two opportunities. You don't have to edit that out. Yeah, no, I remember you told me that more than once they asked you yeah, to come. So they, this is at the very beginning. Uh, 83. That yeah, be. what's that? 83, that would be, yeah, right? So I told them uh, something like that. So I told them um, I, I'm loyal to Mr. Weston and contact uh, Les Thatcher. Because he does a Mid Atlantic Wrestling magazine, that that was it. So they um, they I'm trying to think uh, from there. So yeah. So now the second time was during the uh, the Karabats, uh, era, and uh, it turned out that instead I got a call a few days later, and I still have the typed letter from JJ Dillon, the head of talent relations here, offering me a job to. Uh, get memorabilia for the WWF Hall of Fame. And it would be uh, um, $500 a month um, and kind of unlimited contract. So I got them Buddy Rogers boots and a couple of other things, but it was very kayfabe. Nobody knew I was doing this. Even people at the magazine 
I didn't know. I've seen that stuff when they do the yeah. fan access and all yeah, that. Well, I, I only got Buddy Rogers boots. I never was able to procure anyone else because all the WWF stars from the past told me they'd help us out if uh, they got paid for it and there was no payment for it. It was just right. Was being well. I have seen the Buddy Rogers boots. I've definitely seen those at I got those various WWE yeah. events. Yeah, so they offered me jobs twice, and I turned it down um, because, again, I was loyal to Mister Weston. And, and then when the second one happened, you know, we were moving. I couldn't, you know, my kids were pulled out of school. Everything, life changed, so I stayed with it. Up but again, in in, in a way, though, even that speaks to the the, the status that you've had even that Vince himself says I'm starting a magazine or I need an editor. I'm going to contact bill. You know what I mean? Because he knew you, he knew what you did. And he, oh, yeah. and I sat there with Linda and I said, listen, I'm, I'm part of the business as you know. And she said, I know that. And I'm not really an editor. I'm not someone who can edit per people's story. She said, that's fine. We need a figurehead for the magazine. We need someone who knows the knows the wrestlers uh can coordinate interviews and do i said well that i could do but i can't do it <laughs> so yeah did did you go to stanford yes twice they, wow. sent the they sent the limousine out to get me luckily i got out of the way in time <laughs> uh, it's an old jackie mason joke no yeah they sent the um limousine to get me uh, uh on the second time uh first time i drove up there yeah Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And and I didn't I didn't know you'd actually gotten that far coming up and, and speaking in person and everything. Oh, the second time was wonderful because I, I got to uh see my old friends Howard Finkel, Joey Styles, everybody was up there. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So H Howard was great. What a what a great man. Oh, I miss was. him. I miss yeah. him so very much. He was one of my one of my best friends there when I worked there. I have to yeah. say, because immediately he got to know me because people when I started there, I was on the magazine kind of handling a lot of the historical stuff and like mm -hmm. the facts and figures and memories and things like that was sort of my area of expertise. And he got wind of that because that was also kind of his thing. He was like the historian, you know? Yes. And yeah. he, he knew everything. Yeah. And he felt yeah. like he had to meet me. Cause I was like this kid, I was in my twenties and he treated me with way more respect than I deserved. He, he treated you as an equal. He, he, he did. He did. He treated yeah. me almost like I was, going to be his successor or his protege or something like he would he would do this thing that i've told people about where which was very intentional way of putting me over where if he saw me uh with you know people that he could tell i was trying to impress or whatever he would make a point to come over to me and be super excited shake my hand call me by my name yeah. let's say if i was giving a tour you know just to show like this guy is important. You know, he did that. And when I saw him years later at a convention uh, after I was long gone from the company, I was gone by that point for over a decade. And this was around the point where he was off TV and they were allowing him to make yeah. convention appearances and things, yeah. which he was very happy about. He spotted me. I was with my kids and he called me over by name. I, I, I never would have dreamt. Wow. I didn't even want to presume that he would remember who I was. He called me over by name, took a picture with me and the kids. He was a saint. 
That's great. Brian, can we do a uh, a part two of this? I would really like sure. to do that. Yeah. Are, are you kidding? Because, I would love to do a part Only two. because I'm running out of a little time. Uh, my wife is due home in 15 minutes. That's fine, Bill. I'm just glad that you made any time to do this because, like I said, you were one of the original people that I wanted to get when I started doing this. So well, I'm very impressed with everything you have done, too. And I enjoyed speaking with you up at the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame uh, event uh, at the bar one night. And I don't drink alcohol. And, uh, <laughs> I always throw that in. But it was great to uh, talk to you. And I've, I've always been very impressed by everything you do as well. Thank you so much, Bill. And you're welcome back anytime. There will be a part two, I can guarantee. Yeah, and feel free to air this. And then, you know, later on, and uh, we'll do part two. Would love to. Would love to. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Silver. And I can't end this without, we'll see you at the matches. There you have it, folks. My conversation with the legendary Bill Apter. Always a pleasure to talk to Bill. I'm grateful for any time that he gives me. It's always a great conversation, and I I hope I provided some insight, or rather that the conversation provided some insight on a great career in wrestling media. Keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle because there are always new guests on the way as we barrel headlong into the new year. Uh, Next week's episode, number 49, the first episode of 2023, And my guest will be former creative director at WWE Titan Tower Corporate, Michael Foley. Not Mick Foley, we'll get into that confusion, but Mike Foley, who you may not know, but you will know all about him once the episode is done, and you will be glad about it because Mike has some great stories. He was with WWE all through the 90s and into the early 2000s. He's responsible for some uh, very memorable creative from that company. He's the guy who named Doink. He's the guy who helped design the Titantron stage. He's the guy who named Bastion Booger. He's done a lot of interesting things. You're going to enjoy talking to Mike, also the creator of the Raw Deal WWF card game for those that enjoyed it. Take a listen to next week's episode of Shut Up and Wrestle. Other guests coming to the show. Promoter, manager, superfan, Cauliflower Alley Club luminary, Carmine Despirito is coming. Of course, the big episode 50 guest, which I will be revealing the name of during next week's episode, so keep listening. The widow of Bruiser Brody, Barbara Goodish, is going to be a future guest of the show. Dave Dwinell, legendary former WWF and Northeast Wrestling referee of the 70s, 80s, 90s. He is coming to the show. I've mentioned the Midwest independent wrestler Attila Khan. We've got plenty of guests. It's always happening right here on Shut Up and Wrestle. You can find our show at our website, suawpod.com. You can also find Shut Up and Wrestle wherever great podcasts are found. That means Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Podcast Addict, you name it. And if you love the show, you're going to love the Facebook group. Please join it. New content posted every single day. It's not just posting links to the episode. It's lots of additional ancillary content that will enhance your enjoyment of the show. I promise you that. And it's Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. That is where... You will find it on Facebook. 
the wrestling news every morning from Arcadian Vanguard. We provide you with a nice 5, 10, 15-minute bite-sized look at the news you need to know in and around the world of professional wrestling. Find it at thewrestlingnews.com. If you're interested in picking up a copy of my book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, you can find it on Amazon in print form, in digital form, in audio form, read by me. However you want to digest it, you'll find it there. Pick up your copy. If you're interested in the magazines that I write for, you can get Pro Wrestling Illustrated at pwi-online.com. And you can get Inside the Ropes magazine at insidetheropesmagazine.com, part two of the territorial wrestling breakdown article that I did for them is going to be coming in the new episode coming soon. So stay tuned for that as well. I am a part of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I'm the co-host with Al Castle. That is the PWI podcast, which you can also find wherever you find your great podcasts. If you happen to be looking for me on social media, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. You can also find my author page on Facebook at Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will also find the link to my author web page on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. Happy New Year, everyone. And so long, wrestling fans. 